Instead of doing a message, I decided that I would invite my friend Landry here, and he would come and hang out with us a little bit. And so um, if you don't know Landry, this is Landry. And Hello. yeah, we're excited to have him tonight. All right, so Landry, for those who don't know you, um, why don't you tell us just a little bit, give us like your, your background information. You're a local boy. Local boy. You went to La Salle High School. Yes, I went to La Salle. All right. Anybody go to La Salle in here? Did you guys go to La Okay. Oh, wow. Only a couple of you guys. All right. Okay. Hey, yo. I bet you I'm the oldest La Salle graduate in the room right now. Yeah, probably. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> what year did you graduate? Oh, six? That's right. Oh, six? Oh, oh six? Yeah. Okay. Hey, yo. Hey, yeah. Hey, yo. All right. Yeah. We were there. At the, wait, we were there at the same time then. I was were a we? senior and you were a freshman. I didn't see you. That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't have uh, noticed you either as <laughs> a senior. Anyway, um, would have acknowledged you if I did. Anyway, so uh, tell us a little bit about your background information, both uh, athletics and then we'll get into the spiritual realm as well. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so as you said, from Long Beach, went to Los Alamitos High School, I've been playing basketball pretty much my whole life from fourth no, excuse me, from four years old till about, what's the year, 2017, 2015, so I don't know how long that is. It's like 20 some odd years. It's a long time. It's a very long time, but that was pretty much my life. Basketball was what uh, I did all the time, apart from skateboarding, well. Even like surfboarding. Skateboarding's probably not your thing, but... Uh, I'll grab my thing, my skateboard, and come do some stuff in here. Okay, all right. It's very uh, tall. So I've seen, I've seen pictures of you surfing before. I'm not really uh, convinced, but that's fine. Um, so I actually got to go to Landry's, what was it? They retired your jersey at Lasalle High School. They that did. was a big deal. You're it was a big, a big you're deal. You're a big deal, man. No, no, that, that, <laughs> was, big... that shocked me. I was like, sure, because like, yeah, there's a lot a of great deal. players there. Okay, so tell us, you played all the way through high school. I know that you did really well, and then um, you got... You got uh, into college, you went to a little university called Stanford. Stanford, I guess no it's not deal. a big deal. Yeah, that's fine. Probably Biola. You, yeah, I guess you couldn't get into Biola. That's fine. Oh, that's my um, backup school. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. You're like Biola. Are you guys sure you don't need me? All right, I guess I'll go to Stanford. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you go to Stanford. You play all four years there. Yes. And then what happens? Played all four years, which was a journey in itself. And then I uh, got drafted in 2010 by the New York Knicks. Uh, second round, and then I played two years in New York, then signed a contract for Toronto. Wait, hold on. So you didn't just play two years. There's some stuff that happened while you were playing. Are we talking about years. that, too? Go ahead. What, no, 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 not that, yet. not that yet. Oh, not okay. that yet. Basketball stuff first. You played basketball. I played basketball, You kind of yes. had a good run. We had a, we had a good run. I met Jeremy Lin, slept on my couch. Ah, they call it main auditorium okay. thing. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay. not a big deal. That's fine. That I was it. Yeah, it was all fine. basketball. Okay. Uh, and then you went to Toronto. I went to Toronto for three years. Three years in Toronto. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> and then I, I got injured and retired. You got injured and got retired. Got injured and so retired, yeah. Talk to us through this whole process. So you're a superstar basketball player. Um, you're doing great. You get into the league. You get a big contract, all that kind of good stuff. And then everything starts to crumble around you. Tell yeah, okay, it. we'll get into that. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't a superstar. Uh, and it's funny, I think the last time I was here that I actually went to Young Adults, it was in that room, and I was talking to Kyle about it. And I was kind of in the midst of everything that I'm about to speak on right now. So it's funny how God kind of has, like, right. a sense of humor. He's like, <laughs> you can be talking to them about it. I remember you and Elaine came, and you guys were sitting there on the couch. We were so cool. We thought we were awesome. Yeah, you guys right were really cool. We were like, okay, spiritual checklist. We made it to church. <laughs> now on to whatever we're doing. All right. So, yeah, so first two years in New York was awesome. 
I uh, met some great people there. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how much I want to get into just with New York. Okay, well, I was in New York, and pretty much if you think about a prototypical NBA player, uh, that was me. Everything from on-court competitiveness to off-court lifestyle, uh, I fully indulged in that. And I know that's just kind of banging right into it, but that's, that was me, and that's kind of how I characterized my life. It wasn't just basketball. I played basketball um, definitely for the love of it, but I noticed that there were a lot of things that it could get me. Uh, it started maybe in college. I'm like, oh, cool, I got a scholarship. And then as you get better and better, you start meeting people and they're like, wow, here's some free stuff because you play basketball or you meet a bunch of girls when you're out and about. And, you know, for me, that was kind of like, I loved it. It was a very uh, licentious and prodigal lifestyle. Um, and I, I, I took full advantage of that. And that was kind of the beginning stages. And so but up, <laughs> into this, up into this point, I find it kind of interesting because you grew up in the church, right? I did. I grew up in the church. Um, my, mom, my parents got divorced. My mom was, was more so the one that actually took me to church. And we kind of bounced all around. We were here when it was Grace Church. And Mick, Mick Euclea was actually a pastor at the time. And then we went, you know, it was different churches in Compton. And, you know, I was singing in choirs and stuff. So I was a choir boy. You know, he's never seen that story before. And... Uh, so, yeah, I guess I kind of grew up in the church. I got baptized, and it was something that just was revol- all my life kind of revolved around it. I knew there was a God. I never had an issue with actually believing in God. I figured that that's just kind of how it went. One, because I grew up, obviously, with my mom, and then uh, it just made sense to me. Um, but it was So a- if, I, if I approached you during this stage of your life... Even though you're out there and you're living kind of wild and, and you're doing whatever you want to do. You yeah, but this is beforehand. So this is kind of like, we're talking like middle school right now. Okay. When I got to high school, my attendance to church really fell off. I wasn't in a good group. And it was just, see, I had my life compartmentalized. It's like, here's basketball, here's God, here's food, here's whatever. That was my life. And Food's one of those categories for me, food. too. It's pretty high up there. Yeah. My kids, and then it's food. And then it just, depending on how my kids are, they switch. Yeah, so. we, we could tell. It's, yeah. it's in there. Uh, and so when, it's, when it becomes like that, it's not the center of your world, so it's easy to kind of get mixed up into things. And I would say <laughs> I lived a life that was fairly, you know, prude until maybe my senior year, and then I got to college, and then it kind of all went down and spiraled around. I don't know if anybody's had college years like I have. Everybody's angels, but yeah, no, not these me. Are all I saints wasn't. Here. Yeah, all, all saints, saints here. in the room. Yeah. You know, embodying Christ. And... Uh, you know, I, that's, I got into partying and drinking, not too much because basketball was still the vehicle that I was going to use, obviously, to get to the NBA, and I really wanted to make it, so I didn't want to completely ruin my chances, but it was definitely a part of my life at that stage, and uh, again, that flowed into the NBA the first two years, and so if you magnify all the college fame or whatever celebrity you have in college, which really wasn't anything at Stanford because we weren't that good anyway. And then you get drafted and you see your Twitter followers like go through the roof. You're getting instant messages from people like, oh, you're this, this, and that. You're awesome. You're awesome. It really goes to your head. So I know that I know like you wouldn't say this, but I'll say it for you is like, it's beyond what most of us are ever going to experience because you have like banners of you on like in the stadium, or uh, there's advertisement. I mean, you're like, oh, yeah. you're like a bit, oh yeah, sure. Um, 
Oh, that. It wasn't going that way. I was oh, that. <laughs> but it's like, it's a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's something that we probably can only imagine, but you're experiencing. And how old are you at the time? So you're 22, 23? When I got drafted, 22. Yeah, 22. So you're yeah. 22, and you've got, uh, you know, what we would all consider as, you know, a lot of money. You've got a lot of people paying attention to you. You've kind of got everything uh, at your fingertips. Yeah, I guess the secular dream was kind of like, what I was living and yeah, it was all that stuff. And of course it goes to your head and you can really kind of take it very far, which I did. And it, it didn't help being in a city like New York where there's always something to do. And they basically worship you if you're a Nick. I mean, you can, you can do a lot of stuff out there and not get in trouble. It's, you know, police pull you over. It's like, oh, you're a Nick, please keep going. You know, oh, you don't need ID to get in this club. You know, I was older. Um, it's just kind of how it goes out there in New York. And this is, for me, it's just, it just, that was my world. Uh, that's kind of, it was fun. I mean, even the Bible says sin is fun for a time, <laughs> hence the time. And I was fully living in it. And it wasn't until uh, I got to Toronto where things started to change. So um, I played two great years in New York, and then I signed a pretty good contract to go to Toronto. Um, I met my wife, I think, trying to get the timeline right, maybe like just slightly before I signed that contract. And uh, we've been together maybe five, six months uh, and found out she was pregnant. And uh, that was kind of like the first kind of slash of my life. Um, and that's not to say I don't love my kids. I absolutely love my kids. God has worked wonderful things through my firstborn. Um, so that kind of, I took a hit there because when you're not planning for a baby, it's, it's kind of rough. Um, and then to me, which was the bigger kind of like jab, was I was having this issue with my arm. Um, I, to this day, I have no idea what it is. Uh, but back then, it, I think it's something to do with my ulnar nerve, and it basically cut my career short. Uh, I had three surgeries to try and fix it. I saw doctors throughout the country I mean, in, in the NBA, you get access to really the kind of the best of the best. And, you know, you get to a certain doctor, and after they look at you and they scope you and you go through all the tests, and they come back and they go, you know, hmm, like, I got used to that, hmm? And I'm like, oh, well, see you later. No, you can't help me. Uh, and just going through that, and I'm, I'm obviously giving you kind of the cliff notes of it, but it really was, I like to call it the end of me, and it was really uh, a, an opportunity for God to kind of meet me where he could finally get through to me, where all of a sudden he became uh, the focal point, or at least began to become the focal point of my life when everything else was sliding down the drain. And it's the moment you're not playing that well, and this is like, you know, this is nothing. It's like in the grand scheme of what people go through in life, it's really not that bad. But when your identity is wrapped up in basketball or whatever it might be, and that starts to crumble away, you really feel like you're crumbling um, and fortunately enough for me, I had my background in faith to kind of cling on to and be like, okay, if this isn't working, maybe this, you know, God, can you help me out here? Uh, so for me, it was devastating. Uh, despair would be the word I would use. I really felt hopeless. I had my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time of only five months. She's pregnant. And we're going through that whole drama, and we're, we barely know each other, so we're trying to make a relationship work. Meanwhile, my career, which has kind of kept me going in basketball, is all of a sudden just crumbling, just going down the tube. And it wasn't like a, 
ah, your, your arm's chopped off, you can't play it again, which to me would have been a lot better, and I question God sometimes with that. But it was like a slow plane crash where I knew I was going down, but I'm like, come on, just get it over with. Like, just kill me now or something like that. Not literally, but like get this career over with. Um, but he didn't do that. And looking back, there's obviously tons of reasons why he did that. And, but, it, I mean, it was hard. Um, and I'm thankful he did it because it's that slow, mundane process where God really changes your heart. It's not like a just cut it off and then all of a sudden you're changed. Like, he needed to do a lot of heart work for me. So I think uh, people, you know, you've been doing it yourself, kind of say, well, you know, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. But I think what's happening there is, um, yeah, it's not the end of the world, but it's something that everybody has to encounter. And I remember we had dinner when you, uh, I think we're, we're moving back to the area, and we connected, and we were hanging out, and we were talking through a lot of this stuff, and we started to talk about um, how God sometimes will, he'll take this idol away from us, and then he'll begin to work on us. Can you talk about that a little bit, about the kind of what you learned about idolatry through this process? Yeah. Um, the way you put it, it's kind of like you want to put it on God as if he all of a sudden had, you know, given you a cosmic spanking, so to speak. And <laughs> as I look back now, um, it's really a huge moment of grace and I don't know anybody's theological backgrounds, but we can get in arguments all day about it. But me, I look at it as my lifestyle was going to end up that way anyway. You see, when we sin, God kind of builds his judgment into the sin. So the consequences of those actions, you're obviously going to reap what you sow. It was coming for me at some point. Um, I think God was gracious beforehand and not letting me feel the full weight of it until there was a point where he's like, okay, now I'm going to let this completely hit you so that you hit a sort of rock bottom for you. And everybody's is different. So for me, the idolatry you're talking about is basketball is what, like, that's where my world was revolved around. And, and it wasn't just like basketball. It was everything that came with it. It was the lifestyle. It was the money. It was the girls. It was the partying. It was the recognition on the streets. It's the banners that you talk about on MSG, which is still weird to me to have like a lifestyle thing, but it's, when you get all that, you're wrapped, you're so wrapped up in it. And it's an act of love and being a parent right now of, of two kids, you see how you've, you have to let some of your kids when they're just completely defiant over and over and you tell them the same thing over and over, you're like, you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna blah, 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 whatever it might be, you know, I'm preaching the choir here. Eventually you just gotta let them go and feel the weight of like their mishaps and you're like, you don't want to say, I told you so, but you're kind of like, dude, man, I gave you tons of warnings before. And with me, I knew those warnings. There was times where I wake up the next morning, belligerent. Hello? <laughs> and in my state of mind, still was thinking about, like, man, God, I, I, I got to get out of this. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. But, you know, Jesus died on the cross for me, so, like, I'm good going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Like, that's, like, the extent of my theology back then. And uh, if that's kind of, it's like, that's the truth, but it's only a half truth. You know, we, we like to make it seem like God's only here to save us, but it's like, no, it's more like reconciliation and then completely giving you the best life now. And I didn't understand that part. Uh, so when you think of it like that, I was going to continue to do what I was going to do because I thought that I had like this free pass to just kind of... You see that? She just strolled past her as if nobody saw her. 
Look at that. She's on it. Yeah, she is. Hey, you should be an intern. Here. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to hire her as an I intern. I was impressed. Like, her face did not change from all the way no. to there, there, and she's still going. You know why she's not impressed with you yet? You're going to have to say something impressive. I, 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 you have to tell, give her a good story or something I like know. That. Well, your sermon's not up to me. It's up to God, so it's okay. Okay, okay good. All right. Uh, <laughs> you still have a responsibility, Landry. I have, this is my responsibility, right? All right, here we go. Um, so, yeah, so the point being, like, if that is your theology, it's kind of like a get-out-of-hell-jail, get-out-of-hell-free card, and it's like, oh, I did this, but I'm okay because I fall on the bed of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Like, that's what I thought. Like, that's, right. that was right. the extent of it. Right, so it's kind of like the, uh, I, this is what I learned when I was a kid, kind of, if you say sorry to God, it's like he empties out your sin bucket, and then you're good, and you can go and do it, and then, like, you, if you do it enough, you know, it's good. You can just keep emptying it out, and you'll be all right, right? Yeah, that's, that's how it kind works. Of the good. Well, we're all in agreement here. Perfect. All right, go and sin. Have a good time. No. Um, no. <laughs> have, a, have a great Sunday night, everybody. I'll meet you at the local bar. Anyway. So. Second Street. <laughs> Second Street? Jimmy and I on Second Street. Okay. Yeah, oh, you already have one picked out. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> we will pray for you after this. Later. Thank you. Deliverance. Pray um, I get home. <laughs> okay, anyway. Anyway, so, so let's, let's talk through a little bit of this. Uh, this process is um, we had some great conversations, even as you're wrestling with kind of what you're going to do and what your next steps are and things like that. Um, what did you learn about yourself as you went from the highest highs to your lowest lows? What did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about God through that process? Oh, a lot. Um, about myself, I'm fragile and I had essentially achieved what a lot of people in the Western American civilization society all aspires to be. And you get there and it's like you work so hard to get it, but then when you're there, you're working so hard to keep it. And um, Wait, so like yeah. I wanna I wanna just camp on that for a moment because sure. I think that's something that's crucial, especially for our age group, which is all of us have uh, aspirations of things that we'd like to accomplish. And maybe we have a clear vision of what that looks like, and maybe we don't. But I think that's something that, um, uh, it's a lesson that we need to learn early on. So someone who has been to the top of the mountain that they were climbing, when you got there, it wasn't all that you thought it was gonna be. Well, yes and no, it was. But, and this is kind of like a litmus, litmus test for what, you know, me now, it's like, how do I, extinguish the idols of my life. It's kind of like, how afraid am I to lose something? And it's, with basketball, all the hard work you put in, you, you're there, and it's supposed to be like this moment of like, oh, man, I made it, this is awesome. But then you realize as you're going through it, it's like, oh, it's, it's not done. It's asking more and more and more until you're just giving everything. I remember going home after games, I didn't play that well, and I, was, I literally had to pull over because I was crying because I didn't play well, because I thought, like, man, if I'm not playing well, I'm not going to get next contract, and I'm not going to be in New York, and I'm not going to be able to do this and do that, and everybody's going to be like, oh, who is this guy? I mean, these are, like, the thoughts that are going through my mind. And that wasn't just once. That was multiple times where I had to go to my teammate in confidence and be like, I am struggling right now. I am just, I am, I'm breaking down. I broke down to my college coach one time because the pressure was so big that I put on myself to even make it to the NBA. And, again, if you're not in the church or you don't have a community around you, like, you just kind of go through it without somebody speaking into it. Like, hey, like, idol right there, right there. Like, that's something that you should really check up on. So let's dig a little deeper in that. What do you think pushes people to attach um, so 
so, or put so much weight on themselves in order to succeed? Why, what, was, what was down deep that made you say, this is it? Like, this is the thing. If I don't do this. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's a, it's a sense of, of belonging. It's asking the question, who am I? What am I contributing to the world? And for me, I got an early taste in basketball. I'm like, wow, I, I'm, I'm okay at this. I'm pretty good at it. And people are recognizing me. So, like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is me being a somebody right now. And if that's, and it doesn't matter what it is, if, for me, if that's what it's going to be, then you're just, this pressure is always on you to fulfill that. Like, this is me. This is who I am. This is how people recognize me and they know me. If you take that away from me, then who am I? And I mean, I look at America right now and I'm like, wow, there's, there's some serious issues just with that notion right there. Yeah, so we, we, t- we talked about this before, and, and we have some similar uh, tastes in, in authors and pastors and things like that, and one of the, our, our favorites that we've talked about is um, Keller, and he talks about this idea that um, we will build our identity on something, and we will make our lives about something. And so if you don't, if you don't know the word uh, idolatry, because it's kind of a church word, you probably don't use it in your uh, r- regular day, it's really making anything your ultimate. It is a thing that you will live for. It's a thing that you will die for. Um, it is the thing that your life is focused on. And, um, and Keller talks about how we will all have something that will be that. And if it's not God, it's always going to let you down. And that thing that we put all of our hope and all of our identity and all of our purpose and our value and our meaning in, um, it will always end up destroying us sooner or later. And I love that Landry's story is just a clear example of here is what I put all my faith and my trust and my value and my identity in, and then here's the consequences of it not being able to sustain um, all of that weight. And so when you talk about, and uh, I gotta be honest, it, it kind of, in a sadistic way maybe, makes me feel better to know that you were crying on the side of the road. Um, but here's why, but here's why, is because um, one, I know that that's not the place that you're in anymore, but the other is... Yeah, we can laugh, it's funny. Yeah, but like, no, but the other is... People driving by, like, that's a New York Nick. Like, right. <laughs> this is the crying. Of oh, God. Oh, I was weeping. Um, Windows are fogged. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's interesting because you would, from the outside, everyone would look at you and go, dude, this guy's got everything. Right? He's got it all. He's got whatever, everything that you can imagine that you want. He's got it. And yet he's on the side of the road crying because he had a bad game. Right? Yeah. And so it's because they're just, it's not going to be able to maintain the weight of your identity, of your hope, of your purpose, of your meaning. And so um, whenever there's something that goes wrong with it, it just destroys you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a very simple way to put it. it, it I'm sorry. You elaborate then, no, I guess. No, no. You, that's man. fantastic. <laughs> right. No, it wasn't a shot. It was just, it's that, but it's also, because I don't want to downplay the good gifts of God. Like, that, I, we can get carried away with, like, and you see this in, in church all the time, or everything, if it's not church or Christian, it's completely bad, and that's just not true. It was just more like idolatry is a disordered love of your life. So it's, yeah, it's making something your ultimate, but it's a disordered love. So for me, I put basketball, again, and everything came with it, above everything else. And God, I think, is saying, hey, like, basketball is a, it's good. Like it's a gift that I gave you, but it's just in the wrong place. So let's reorient your life to where I'm now the focal point. Everything rests on me because 
I'm the only one that's going to outlast this life anyway. So if you allow me to be your ultimate hope, your ultimate just identity, then everything else is kind of going to kind of flow and you'll be able to enjoy everything else under it that much more. See, that's what I had missed. And that's what I really came to learn. It's like basketball, see, because what I did when I was going through this process as I, I demonized basketball as if like, I can't believe, like, I was even playing and all this stuff. Like, this is a bad, bad thing. And, like, you kind of go from this chaotic life to this real formal trying to get into church and do everything the right way. And it's like, that's, there was nothing wrong with basketball. It was just my heart and how I treated basketball. So once God became the focal point in the center, I noticed that I really started to enjoy basketball a lot more. My relationships had been a lot better. I'm not, it's not perfect, but you now see through the lens of, God, you see, like, you see girls and women through the, the lens of how God sees them. And for me, you're getting, this, you're getting kind of this cheap rush of, you know, what, what happens on in the club and through porn and all this other stuff. And that's just, that's just the, it's, sorry, that's just the wrong way to look at anybody, whether it's male or female. So as I'm growing closer with Jesus, and he's, he's just so gracious just walking with me, um, you start to see everything how he sees it. And it tears away this idolatry and this, you know, hope you're putting into other things. And it really puts them in their proper place for him to be like, no, this is, I created this. This is my world. But let's keep it here. Like, this is good if you allow it to be just a gift as opposed to a complete identity. Okay, so before we talk about what you're now doing after basketball, um, tell us a couple of your favorite NBA moments. Uh, wow. Uh, just, hey, with Jeremy, like, if you guys missed that, like, that dude is awesome. Like, I'm, like, he was the first person that I saw really claiming God in the NBA, but actually living the life that went behind it. See, everybody, and you'll see it, like, oh, glory to God. Like, that was me, but, like, I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to share a drink with you in the club two hours later. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with, like, having a drink with somebody or going to listen to some music, but... I know where that leads to, and I, I know where these guys are at, but he was the first person, I would say his relationship with him has just been, uh, it was the first step for me to kind of see that you can have basketball, yet there's this other side of him. And the story I always bring up is, we were, gonna go, we were on the road, we were gonna go to dinner, I knock on his door, and I'm like, hey, Jeremy, we're about to go out, we're going to dinner, a nice restaurant, we also got a club afterwards. We're going to go hang out, have some drinks. And he's like, you know, guys, I, I can't do it. I got to get my study time in with God. And I'm kind of like thinking, I'm like, what is that? Study time with God? Like, yo, remember the cross, grace, the bed of love. Like, we're good. <laughs> like, so I'm kind of like, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. You do, you do that, whatever. I, I thought he was going to be a teacher, like, when he was done playing. So I'm like, yeah, that's what he's, that's what he's going to do. So... Cool, but that was so, the first thing that so I saw. He, he I'm like, showed eh, you a different of, type of faith then. He showed me probably a better, <laughs> real type of faith, of faith. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was that was a huge. That's many moments, but that's like huge. I mean, there's obviously game stuff where you score and like and do great things on the court. But you think about the experiences and the people you meet and the people I still speak to now. Um, they pour into your life, and that's what I needed at that time. Even though I didn't know I needed it, even though I was completely lost way over here just doing my own thing, like, he was, you know, down the path, living as if basketball was just a gift, and, you know, Jesus was kind of the center of his life, and it really gave me a perspective 
where I could finally see where I'm in this chaos. And I'm like, well, what's that all about? But it, I needed the whole, I'm going to bring you down to a low point so that this right here, what you're looking at with Jeremy, will make sense. So I needed, I needed this. I really did. So if you were to um, talk to Landry in the middle of or the beginning of your injury, what would you tell Landry? So as you're struggling with, okay, crap, I got my girlfriend pregnant, and it looks like my career might be coming to an end, and you're probably hitting this low, what would you tell yourself in that moment? We should have prepped for that question. That's a good one. I'm like an incredible interviewer, yeah. and so you just got to be ready. You know, you got to be on your feet, as they say. What would I tell myself? Oh, my goodness. I would... I would tell myself that, hey, you're going to go through something that's not going to end right away, but keep your eyes, one, focused on Jesus, but not just like on this mystical, like, third eye, I could see him down there, but like how he's working in your life through other people. So go reach out to, at the time, Carl Lentz at Hillsong. It was like, awesome for me. I needed that. Like, God worked through him and got through to me, through Carl, through Jeremy. And those were kind of like the, like the energy boosters when I'm like, this life sucks. I feel like I'm, in de I'm depressed. I'm in despair. Like They were the ones that poured into me. And looking back now, I see how God works in the world. He works through us, through partners. And he calls us to be partners, not robots. It's like, I want to just God to like all of a sudden, you know, make this disappear, you know, and it's, that's not how he works. He decided to make an entire world where we get to partner with him through a relationship. And that's kind of the way he moves. I'm sorry, it's kind of a tangent, but I always get upset when people are like, oh, why isn't God doing this, doing that, doing that? And I'm like, yeah, well, he is. He's just doing not, not doing it the way you want it to be done. And working with Project 54, you speak with people all the time, like, there's starving children in Africa, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, who's at the front lines feeding those those kids, it's, it's mostly Christian organizations. See, he decided to partner with us. We are his hands and feet to bring hope and light into the world. And so in my particular story, it was through Carl bringing hope and life into my life and for what I needed at that particular time. So if you hadn't been injured, what do you think your life would look like right now? <laughs> I thought it... about that coming here, and I'm like, God, thank you. <laughs> You know, it was like, like, when you're in it, you don't know. You just don't know. Like, being out of it and looking back, I'm like, yeah, if he did not do that, honestly, um, honestly, I don't know. Whew, it's bad. I don't know. I, I don't know where my relationship would be with my wife. I don't know if my son, my firstborn, would, would be here or not. And uh, so that's kind of like, it's hard to think about. I don't like thinking about that because that's tough. But that's the mindset that you're in. It's like, it's all about me. How do I get me going? How do I, like, and I will, I will literally kill to get me to continue on. Um, so that's why I say it was an unbelievable act of grace for God to let me feel the consequences of certain things so that I wouldn't make insane decisions going forward because I would be completely blind to what I was doing. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, one of the things that's, I find really impactful about your story is hearing, and you wouldn't have been able to know it in the moment, but 
when God was doing, when you felt like this is the low, like I'm losing my identity, I'm losing basketball, I'm, you know, I'm, everything's going down the tubes was actually the moment in which God was most at work in your life. Yeah. Is he not only saved you, but he saved your relationship and he saved your future and he saved, and so I find like, and as a pastor, we read this in the Bible and we hear it over and over again, but I just love hearing someone's story that, man, I wouldn't have been able to see it in that moment. I, didn't, I couldn't figure out, like, God, why would you give this to me and then take it away from me? And yet, in that very moment, he's setting you up for an even bigger success. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, when you come out of one of those, and this was a big one for me, it gives me kind of the, the hope when I go through something else. And there's some times where I'm still, like, I'm, like, angry at God. I'm like, why are we doing this right now? Like, what are you doing and then I think about how God has followed through in my past, and I'm like, okay, you've never given me a reason not to trust you, especially when as you got through, as you as you got me through the hardest time in my life. So he he's doing a million. I don't like one theologian quotes it, and he says, God may be doing ten thousand things in your life through something, and you may be aware of three things, and. I think about that now when I'm coming to another valley and I'm like, okay, God, like, I know that in you all things work together. So I don't see it now, but I'll look back in five years when I'm talking to my, older, my younger self and be like, hey, just, just hold on, be patient. Like God's doing something here ultimately for your good, changing you into the person that you're becoming so that when you step in front of his throne one day, you look at yourself and it's just like, man, like, God's like, see, this is how you, you could have been all the time, but it just took me to kind of just bring you through some crap. <laughs> and on the other Ooh, side. <laughs> he said the C word. Um, yeah. So you didn't, you, didn't leave, uh, you didn't leave basketball totally behind, though, because you ended up in through uh, lots of conversations, lots of prayer. Uh, once you retired from the NBA, you now are kind of back in the NBA. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, sure. So I am... I, yeah, I'm back in the NBA, but a different role. I work in the front office with the San Antonio Spurs, and I scout all of college basketball. Your fault, Siri's talking to you. It's those tight pants, bro. You gotta be careful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So and that came about in a way, um, just forming relationships when I was playing. Um, it was totally like this. I called it everybody. It was a God thing. But it was because I was working out and my arm wasn't getting better and I was just having, I was, I was rough. I'm like, okay, God, I'm like, I'm done with this. And when I finally said I'm done, it was like a week and a half later that the Spurs called and they're like, hey, we got a front office job uh, we'd like you to interview for. We got your name from a former player you used to play with. And I'm like, okay, that's great because when I was sitting on the bench my last two years with the Raptors, you know, chilling, I was already kind of critiquing and looking at players and be like, oh, I think he'd be a great fit. He's somebody who I really like. So I've kind of been prepping for this job for the last two years. So I interviewed well and obviously got the job. Yeah. So what's crazy is uh, if we, you know, your story obviously isn't done. There's still a lot more going on. But you go from, was it five years ago when you got your injury? Five? Yeah. Five years ago, you got your injury and you're at your lowest. And then you kind of have come full circle to where you're back doing something NBA with basketball, except you're not on the road 24-7, nope. away from your kids, and you get to still be a part of the thing that you love, and you had this whole transformation in the process. 
Yeah, so like, yeah, you want to talk to my younger self and be like, hey, if you wait, like there's going to be something so much better for your life. You just don't see it right now. And it's like that. I'm still in basketball in a different role, but it's something that I, I love to do. And I think it highlights certain gifts that I have been given. Um, but even now, it's just like the enemy's still at work. I still want to be like, I have this selfish ambition. We kind of spoke about this before. I'm like, well, I want to be that one day. But I am day in and day out be like, no, let's keep basketball. It's a wonderful gift. If God calls you to do it, let's pray. Let's talk to some people about it, and then we'll move forward. Um, but right now, the where basketball is, is, is I love it, and there's never a, a pressure situation um, where I just feel right now, and Jesus talks about ability in your house on rock as opposed to sand. Like when it's on rock, man, it's really hard to shake you. And of course, you go through the ups and downs of life. But in those, even in those moments, you're like, I, like I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come out of this. Like God's got something on the other end for me. I don't see it right now, but based on what He's done for me in the past, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Like that should be like the motto of life for Christians. It's gonna be okay. Like don't worry. Good. Any last thoughts? Okay, good. Um, will you guys thank Landry for being here tonight?